This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. guest today is Army Captain Deshana Barber. In 2016, she was crowned the first soldier to win the prestigious title of Miss USA. She currently mm-hmm. serves as the President and Chief Executive Officer of Service Women's mm-hmm. Action Network, the nation's leading 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating on behalf of all service women and women veterans in the country. Captain Barbara has served her country for over nine years and now works as cadet instructor at Howard University's Bison Battalion during her Army Reserve commitment. As Miss USA, she spent her year-long reign advocating for our men and women in uniform by encouraging our government to provide more support for soldiers suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and other post-deployment and service-related mental health conditions. She also partnered with and lent her voice to organizations such as the USO, Smile Train, Best Buddies, and Operation Homefront. Captain Barbara is currently receiving her diversity, social justice, and inclusion certification at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in business management from Virginia State University and a Master of Science degree in computer information systems and services from the University of Maryland, University College. She worked as an IT analyst in the United States government for over seven years being employed by agencies such as the Department of Defense, Department of Transportation, Department of the Navy, and the Department of Commerce. When she's not serving her country, she travels the world as a full-time motivational speaker. She uses her experience as an Army officer, former Miss USA, and STEM graduate to inspire, encourage, and strengthen others. As a top-rated speaker, she's widely sought by Fortune 500 companies and has appeared on major shows such as The Steve Harvey Show, The Rachel Ray Show, Fox and Friends, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, The T.D. Jakes Show, and Good Morning America. It is my distinct honor and pleasure to have you, Captain Barbara, as our guest on The Voice of Leadership. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It was a long bio right there. <laughs> well, you've accomplished a lot in a brief period of time. And I certainly wanted, you know, my guests to get a picture of everything. Well, not everything even, but a lot that you've done. And also, as a former Army officer myself, I was just very delighted to learn about you and your unique experiences. So let's Thank just you. jump right in. Yeah, let's just jump right in. So what I wanted to first mention, certainly this intrigued me when I think about it. At first glance, you know, you being in the Army and you being a science, engineering, technology, and math type, this seems very far removed from the world of beauty pageants and Miss USA. So how did you get interested in such diverse pursuits? You know, I think it kind of came out of nowhere because, to be honest, the desire to join the military is something that I had very young. 
my father and mother both served in the U.S. Army. So that was something that was my my first desire. And then STEM is something that also was something that I knew I was going to be passionate about once I entered into Virginia State University. And I saw the economy and I saw just the way that uh, technology is shifting and it's becoming a huge part of our day-to-day. So I knew that uh, computer information systems and services was going to be something that wouldn't die out and would be a necessity for most business processes and corporations and the way that they function. Now, pageantry, on the other hand, came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I, I have a uh, specific speech that's on Goalcast right now, and it's getting really good numbers. So people may have already heard a portion of this, but I was actually discovered in Target uh, when I was 19 years old. So pageantry kind of came on the back end of my passions and the things that I planned to do in life some years ago. And they, they are two different sides of the spectrum, I would say. But I, I do think that being in STEM and being in the military and, and being a pageant girl, you really get a chance to see that that women have so many different sides to themselves. They are, we are, we're all multifaceted and we have so many passions and some are like water and vinegar where they just don't mix, but they still have their own level of similarity. So I feel like I just am very multifaceted. I, I have a, a level of um, of uh, passion within me that allows me to be so open-minded to different experiences, which is why I'm okay with being uh, having my foot in so many different pots. You know, it's interesting when I hear you say multifaceted, it makes me think about a diamond, you know, or a gemstone that has that reflects light from so many different directions and so many different places. So that's actually a, a really nice picture of the difference in, in what you're doing. So let me ask this. And how have you leveraged, if you will, the power and the exposure of both the military officer platform, that's one facet, and then the Miss USA platform for mutual benefit, which is another facet. So how have you leveraged the power of those? I think I've leveraged it with my speaking career. And that's what I was saying about my bio. I, I give this bio out to, to every single event. They always say it. And I, every time I get up to the mic, I'm like, wow, that was so much. Because I'm, I say it kind of as a compliment to myself in a way that really just reflects the fact that I have really done so much in such a short 30 years of life. And I'm always very shocked, even when I hear it myself, I'm like, gosh, Deshaunna, you've done, you made, you made so many strides in life. I find that the way that I leverage being a former Miss USA and being in the military, I've leveraged it by being a speaker. And I've, I've leveraged it by showing, and a lot of, majority of my speeches are all based on either leadership or women empowerment and uh, diversity and inclusion. So all three of those things are my top topics. And also one is breaking the molds, like break, breaking through the glass ceiling, things along those lines where I think that I, I speak that mostly to our young people because I feel like sometimes, especially as a young person, we're taught to believe that, that there's one way of functioning in life. There's one way to success. There's only one direction. There's only one way to get to the things that you want to get to, and that's through college, through school, getting your nine to five, and kind of uh, just having a, you know the white picket fence, the family, and things along those lines, which is always a great way to um, achieve your goals, and that's the lifestyle that most people want to live. I think that for me, being Miss USA and being in the military, it kind of shows that 
that we're allowed to be different. We're allowed to be unique in, in the things that we want to do in life. And it's very important to think about quality of life when we think about what it is that we want to do. I try not to allow the opinions of others to steer what it is that I want to do, because at the end of the day, and I, I say this in my speeches, if I had listened to the whispers in my ear and to the gossip and, and to the, the people that didn't support my decision, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I use both the military and being Miss USA to show that we're literally allowed to be any and everything that we want to be in life. And I push that in my speeches because I think that a lot of the times people are on the straight and narrow and they have passions and desires and things that they want to do in life and they have hobbies and or they want to open a business or they want to become a musician, they want to become a singer, but society is telling them not to do that because this is what you need to do to be a woman in America or be a man in America or be, you know, a lawyer in America. It's like we we're placing ourselves in a box. I think showing the two different dynamics to those careers allows people to see that, wow, you could be a soldier and a beauty queen. It shows that you can be anything that you want to be, no matter how opposite they are. Well, you know, that's really significant because you are being a role model for being able to create your own path, if you will. And I always have a statement that I talk about, which says run your own race. It may not be exactly the same race as what other people are doing, but it's certainly the one that that you choose to run. So I want to ask you something about that. We know that being an army officer in and of itself, and particularly you were a commander at the time, you were also a pageant queen. So Talk to us about about the biggest hurdles that you experienced in balancing those two positions and even in being successful in both. It it was difficult. Uh, I definitely had a a large level of hurdles, mostly because when you're in the military, again, there there is a, a box placed on you, especially as women. There are these expectations, and I often think, at times, people forget that we're women uh, when we're in uniform. So when they see you in a swimsuit on the beach, they're like, whoa, you know, too much skin, guys. And it's like, you know, we're still women and we're allowed to have moments of um, what we would define as large level femininity, which people would say being in a pageant is the most girliest, girly thing you could do in the world. Um, but I think that by being able to show them and show even my soldiers that, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a box. And I think that was my biggest hurdles are other leaders and peers of mine that were also commanders that did not agree with my choice of competing in pageants and being such a public reflection of an army officer. To be honest, a lot of the, the sounds doesn't sound the greatest. And I was actually shocked by it. A lot of the backlash that I did get was from female military officers or just from female soldiers. And I read a few articles because there were a few, I know there was a Marine, I'm not going to say what the blog's name is, I forgot, I forgot it at this point. She wrote a very long article about how my Miss USA win was setting the female soldiers setting us back in terms of being women and being treated as equal within the military. It was a very long blog, which I took the time to read. And I thought she was giving me a little bit too much credit personally for believing that my one 
Miss USA win was going to be this negative impact on females in the military. But I think that that was probably my biggest hurdle is getting over judgment and getting over judgment from people that did not understand or agree with what it is that I do. And I think that I don't really care much about judgment. I care about making sure that I don't have any regrets in life, that anything that I've ever wanted to do, I have at least tried to do, which is why my mantra is always do not fear failure, but please be terrified of regret. If I decided not to compete for Miss USA, I would be thinking about it for the rest of my life and wondering what if I had actually tried. So I think the biggest hurdle is is definitely judgment and being in the public eye. And it's wanting to make an impact on lives, um, knowing that some people don't support you. And, you know, it's not really for everyone to understand at the time. And I think that I've been able to transition that position as Miss USA to doing what I'm doing now, which is being the CEO of a, a nonprofit that's focused on female veterans and and female service members. So to me, I had a plan the whole time, whether people agreed with it or understood it wasn't really the the priority of myself. And if I could say anything to our, to your viewers, it would, it would be to do what you want in life. As long as it's not disrespectful or, or a direct impact on other people, you have to do what you love and you have to be willing to accept the judgment that comes with it because people are going to have their opinions no matter what. You know, there's there are a couple of things I want to jump in on and uh, as far as what you're saying, and that is, I remember when I was active duty in the Army and one of my assignments was with the 1st Infantry Division at Fort Riley, Kansas. And so we wore, you know, combat boots every day and the battle dress uniform or the green fatigues before that and so on. And I remember, because I've always been a very feminine type, So being in the Army was sort of like unusual. People would not expect me to be in the Army if they just saw me. In fact, if I was in the airport in a uniform, a Class A uniform at the time, people always thought I was a flight attendant rather than an Army Mm -hmm. officer. But what I recall is that that was the first time in my life that I bought pink high heels to wear in my off-duty time just to stay in touch with the feminine side because every day I was sort of like in a a real male-dominated world and a masculine sort of world. And so it's important not to be in the box, as you say, but to actually, I'll say, exercise all parts of yourself and who you really are and not lose any aspect of that. So I want to jump into this a little bit because I think some of that judgment you were talking about is that there are often stereotypes or misconceptions about pageant girls or women in the beauty industry. What are some of those big misconceptions such that people might even have gone to judgment? I would definitely say the top one is that we're airheads, quote unquote, that that is always going to be the top misconception of pageant girls is that we are unintelligent and is the most insulting assumption of all time. I I have been on stage with, you know, the, the Miss USA that we crowned after me was a scientist. I've been on stage with women that have worked for NASA, pilots, mathematicians. I I have been on stage and competed against women that I by far think are the smartest women on the planet personally. So, you know, I think that's the top misconception. And then I think the second misconception is that we are not independent and we're not working women. Mm -hmm. There is this very 
traditional umbrella that falls over pageantry because it is a very it comes from a very traditional um, period of time in the in the early 1900s where you have women, which is when these pageants were founded, uh, where you have women that are stay at home mothers. So a lot of the previous pageant queens early on in pageantry. Almost all, if you watch, <laughs> if anyone decides to go back through and watch through history, they'll ask the women, so what do you do and how are they, you know, oh, well, you know, I have, you know, I'm a stay at home um, wife right now. And what do you like to do? Oh, I like to cook pancakes and, and, and bake cakes. So usually it's a very traditional space to where m- women historically were almost never cr- in a career Um, And majority of their focus was not to be in a career at that time. Um, And that was really what was highlighted when it comes to pageants that were telecasted. They were almost always women that were focused on what's your hobby? Oh, I like to play tennis and, you know, things along those lines. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it has transitioned over time to where very career driven women have been attracted to pageantry. And a lot of us, the questions are now, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a nuclear scientist. And, and, oh, okay, well, where, where'd you go to school? I went to Yale. Like that's becoming a very common portion of pageantry. So yes, the misconception is absolutely that we're not career driven women, um, that we're, we're unintelligent we're not smart. And we really, that we don't have ambition is, is a huge portion where that we're not well-traveled, that we can't hold a conversation unless we're talking about what's your favorite baking set. Like that's usually very, a lot of the questions that I would get very early on until they highlighted my military career would be so, you know, I heard that you have a dog. What's the dog's name? It's like, what does this have to do with, you know, what it is that I want to do with the PTSD and and the impact and the platform that I want to make? So I love that pageantry is transitioning to highlighting the careers and the ambitions of the women that compete on stage. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you were starting to talk a little bit about the PTSD part, because I know that in in terms of your own personal platform, you actually pursued many topics. For example, you already mentioned leadership, diversity and inclusion, you know, and, and also quality of life, which in your particular case, you have a personal passion for mental health. And since I'm a psychologist and I was also an army psychologist, that greatly interests me. So Tell us a little bit about how your personal journey informed your passion for addressing mental health concerns of soldiers. Well, I've had a few experiences myself, especially as a as a commander. I've I've dealt heavily with soldiers that are suffering from, from post traumatic stress disorder. My father and my brother have severe post traumatic stress disorder. Just so people get a little bit of background, my my father, mother, sister, and brother are all army veterans and my stepmother as well. Uh, So there's five of us total that have served, or six actually, if we include my stepmother. So I'm very highly impacted by the things that happen within the military and deployments and experiences. So what hit me the hardest when it comes to why I have a passion is because of my personal experience. I see what my my dad battles with. Um, I know that he's, you know, deployed so many times um, being in special forces and he has his triggers and most soldiers a lot that have come back from deployment have their triggers and I think that 
because the the quote unquote statistic that 22 veterans a day commit suicide, these are statistics that I have to experience because of the fact that I'm constantly surrounded not only by veterans, but I'm surrounded by service members when I'm serving in the reserve. And also because I remember there was a training that I had, it's called Bullock, it's basic officer leadership course. This was back in 2012 and someone in our class committed suicide in his hotel room, hung himself in his hotel room. It was my very first training after commissioning. Although I didn't know the soldier personally, our entire class was required to go to his funeral. And I remember them playing taps and his family being at the front of the church. And I've never cried so hard in my life especially when it comes to someone that I didn't know. But I could see that we're all here in uniform and here supporting someone that we don't know, but we all stand for the same goal. We all have the same mission and we all have the same love for this country. So what can I do as an individual to make sure that our veterans never feel like they are forgotten once their service has completed? That's really kind of been my my focus and what kind of drives me and what makes me want, what made me want to be in this nonprofit and what makes me as a speaker constantly have this conversation. Because I think that that's what can impact a soldier's decision or anyone's decision, or at least I hope it can, which is by encouraging them to know that we we care as a society. I think that's really significant, meaning that you are using your platform to address issues that are real and that are important. And a lot of times we think about the life and death aspect of war in terms of being on the battlefield directly itself. But you're saying even when once the soldiers come back or even when they're in garrison and someone is suicidal or whatever the situation may be, we still have a responsibility as a country and as a society to care for those who have made great sacrifices in caring for us. And so that really does make what you do very special. It's not selfish. It's not self-focused and oriented, but you're reaching out to make a better world in terms of, of the people you touch, the lives that you touch. That's what I'm hearing. Yes, that 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 hits the the head on the nail. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for, for that. That brings it into a nutshell. I'm a bit long-winded, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm trying to convince it, <laughs> but you're you're able to put it into to, sh- to shorten it up. So I appreciate that. <laughs> That's good. That's wonderful. And I know that you have so much more that you could share with other people. And so anyone who would like to contact you for a future speaking engagement, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely, yes. If anyone wants to reach out to me in terms of of speaking, my website is deshauna.com. So it's D as in Delta, E-S-H-A-U-N-A.com. My calendar is up there uh, and and steps to book me is is, as well on the website. Also just social media wise on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, although I'm not really on Twitter that often, but if you're on Twitter, (laughs) it's all at Deshauna Barber. Fantastic. Now, I know that you do speak to Fortune 500 audiences and that you, as an Army officer yourself, 
You're also a nonprofit CEO. So you've got lots of experiences. So what words of wisdom do you have for my audience? And my audience is principally executive business leaders. What words would you like to leave with them? What I would like to leave with your audience is something that I speak on often when it comes to the events that I speak at, especially those that have leaders. I think that leadership is is one of those things where it's not necessarily based on your position. It's based on how you impact the lives of others. If I could tell our leaders anything I would tell them that responsibility represents your duty. Accountability signifies your compassion. I find that those that are in executive and high-level positions, we oftentimes want to know what people are doing, but rarely do we consider how people are doing. And I think that that's what separates us as leaders from not only caring about the actions that contribute to the functioning of our businesses, but also about the people that we lead. How is their family? How are they personally? Are they hanging in there in terms of mental health? And I find that because it is that I'm so passionate about post-traumatic stress disorder, I think about these things and I think about quality of life. So if I could leave them with anything, I would say do not only be concerned about what people are doing. Be concerned about how they are doing because that to me represents what a leader is. It's someone that cares and someone that wants employees and team members and colleagues to walk into work and not only be satisfied with their work environment, but feel satisfied with how this work environment is positively impacting their lives. Thank you for for sharing those words of wisdom. And I'm going to punctuate them by saying to the audience who's listening out there today, just remember when you are a leader, you're called to take care of those that you lead. You're called to care and to have compassion and to pay attention to how you are impacting the lives of others. In other words, leadership is a high call. It's about more than the what. It's about more than the business action. It's about the people who serve every day and make you and your business successful. So Captain Barbara, thank you for leaving those words of wisdom with my audience today. And to everyone out there, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.